program is reaching a lot of people. Very excited what the Lord is doing. So make sure you look at your e-bulletin. And I think I've covered pretty much everything I need to this morning. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. If you'll turn there, we're going to begin at the top of the chapter. We've covered the first 19 chapters in our verse-by-verse study in Matthew. We're going to begin at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 20. And keep in mind that as we've been traveling through the last few chapters, that Jesus has left the Galilee region for the last time. He's making his way to Jerusalem, where we're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to make his triumphal entry into the holy city. And a few days later after that, he's going to be taken and crucified outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary. Father, we pray that as we open up your word once again, that you would touch our hearts with your word. There's something here very important for us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as we take the word and and plant it in our hearts, the seed of the word taken root there, that it may produce fruit in our lives. And Lord, that uh, you would, Lord, help us leave this place encouraged and more in love with you than when we walked in. So Lord, help us be attentive. Help us remember to turn our ringers off the phones, the things that go ding, because they are distracting. And Lord, we, we want to be free to hear your word. And we only got a few moments together. So help us to open our ears and soften our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, it's Passover, and many people are headed to the city to celebrate the feast. And as Jesus makes his way there, there's a large multitude that we saw as we opened up chapter 19 that is following him. He's on the far side of the Jordan. We know that in that great multitude, people are coming to Jesus and they're receiving healing from him. We also know that there are the religious leaders that are in the midst of that crowd, and they've been mounting their opposition against Jesus. They come to him asking questions. Matthew writes that they're testing him. They will continue to do that as uh, he gets closer to the cross. They're trying to, to find a way to accuse him. They're taking their spiritual jabs at him. We also know that the parents were bringing their children to Jesus for him to lay his hands on them and and to bless them. Last service, it was wonderful. We dedicated a couple toddlers here at the church as the parents would bring their kids here, presenting them before Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing for us to be able to do, to bring our kids to Jesus. And he desires for us to do that. So all these things that we looked at very carefully over the last couple weeks, and as we closed chapter 19, we saw last time that there was conversation between a rich young ruler. He was wealthy, he was young, he was a ruler, probably a member of the Sanhedrin. He was everything that the world would look up to. He had wealth, he had status, he was young, he was a go-getter. And he comes to Jesus and asks him, what good thing must I do to be saved? And so we looked at the exchange between him and our Lord. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Don't you know that there's only one that is good, and that is God? And he was trying to draw out from him a recognition of faith that Jesus indeed is good and that he's the Son of God. But as he's asked that question, Jesus said that you keep the commandments, name some of the commandments that we read. And he would say, the rich young ruler, I have kept these commandments from my youth. And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, then go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And as he heard that, he went away sorrowful. 
You see, Jesus, as we discussed in detail last time, he wasn't saying that we have to give everything away, you know, to the poor in order to be saved. But he was zeroing in on a problem that was in that rich young ruler's life. He didn't have a relationship with God. Those possessions that were great, the gospel says, were possessing his heart. And Jesus then, as that man would leave, went on to talk to his disciples and warn them about what riches can do to an individual. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And the disciples would hear that, and they were astonished. They would respond by saying, then who can be saved? Because in that day, just as there are many today, that they will say that wealth is a sign of God's you know, favor and blessing, and it is a sign of spirituality. And the Pharisees really would teach that because Luke chapter 16 tells us that they had a love for money. They were generally more wealthy than the rest of the people in the land. And we know that there are those today who will teach a prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel. You see, we discussed that how having riches or money is not evil or sin in and of itself. And the Lord may bless you in your business or monetarily. But here's the thing to remember. The Bible says it's the love of money that is the root of of all kinds of evil. And in Luke 16, it says that the Pharisees had a love for money. Specifically, Dr. Luke writes that. And anything that ends up dominating our lives and our hearts over the Lord, there is a problem that is there. Remember that Jesus is talking to them about you are to store up your treasures in heaven. He is telling them about how to be great in the kingdom of God and will continue to talk about eternal rewards as we get into chapter 20 here. The psalmist in Psalm 49 writes about how a man's wealth cannot buy him salvation, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away, is what we read in that psalm. It is J.D. Rockefeller, when he ended up dying, that they came and asked this estate lawyer, how much money did Mr. Rockefeller leave? And the lawyer came up with this classic answer. He said he left everything. He, he didn't take anything with him. I believe it was Billy Graham that said that we are to remember that everything in this world is going to be left behind. You've never in a funeral procession seen a U-Haul behind a Hertz. So we want to keep an eternal perspective. We want to understand this, that Jesus said, if you can gain the whole world, but yet you can lose your own soul. Peter writes in his epistle that we've been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the lamb. And so Peter, as he is hearing all this in the exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler, he pipes up and he says, well, what are we going to get? We're forsaken all. We haven't been like that rich young yuppie that, that walked away from you. And Jesus said, pursue the riches of heaven, and there's going to be great reward. And as we move into chapter 20 here, Jesus is telling this parable to help explain the words of Jesus to Peter's response in the previous chapter. So let's look at this parable, the workers in the vineyard, as we read in verse 1 of the chapter, Jesus saying, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. 
And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. In verse 4, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever, right, uh, whatever is right I will give to you. So they went. So here's a landowner who needs workers for his vineyard. It's probably late summer, summer, it's harvest time. So the landowner goes and he hires workers. And as he goes, he goes to the town square and he finds some workers there. There are those who are, are at that place looking to be hired for the day, first thing early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And the owner says, come and work in my vineyard for a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. He makes that, uh, that agreement with them. They agree to the terms. He would send them into the vineyard to work. He goes back, the owner, at, into the town square at the third hour, which would be 9 o'clock in the morning, and he hires more workers. Let's continue reading verse 5. And again, he went out about the 6th, that's at noon, and ninth hour, that's 3 in the afternoon, and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock, he went out, and he found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. In verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. So as we read this parable, the landowner hiring laborers at 6 a.m., and then at 9 a.m., at noon and at 3 p.m., and then at 5 p.m., and they stop work at 6 p.m. The guys which started late, you know, a Daenerys, a day's wage, uh, was, was given to them. So the first ones coming that are receiving their, their wage, they get a Daenerys. The ones who started early in the morning, they're thinking, oh boy, we're going to get a big bonus. But it didn't happen. So what do you think the response was? I think you know what it's going to be as we continue reading in verse 11. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. They're complaining against the landowner, the guys that started at, at 6 in the morning and 9 in the morning. Hey, we worked all day, and we did more work. We worked through the heat of the day. And we get the same amount of those who stayed, you know, came late, those who only worked for one hour, it came at five o'clock. Now, if this scenario would have taken place in our society and in our culture, you know that there would be a huge outcry. And we may be a part of that outcry. We would uh, naturally think that isn't fair. But this is a parable of the kingdom of God. This is not a parable of the kingdom of the world. So as we continue reading in verse 13, but he answered, that is the landowner of one of them, and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give uh, to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? And in verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So the landowner says, hey, didn't you agree with me for a Daenerys when I hired you? Uh, 
You got what you agreed with. The terms were met when I hired you. You got your Daenerys. So why are you complaining? And if I choose to give to others who came late at Daenerys, that's my business. So what is the parable teaching us here? Now keep in mind, the parable was given in response to Peter saying, hey, what are we going to have? We give an all to follow you. A couple things that are very important as we consider this parable. Number one, we see, first of all, God's grace that is here. We read this and we think, well, those guys that came at noon and 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, they shouldn't have received a Daenerys. They didn't deserve it. What's the definition of grace? I think that most of you know that grace means the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. And he has lavished his grace on us. And when it comes to salvation, we know that we are saved by grace. Listen, none of us deserve to be saved. I hope that you know that. But there are many people that are around this that if you ask them, why should God let you into heaven, what is their response going to be? Because I deserve it. Because I'm a good person. And, and I've been one that's done good things. And, uh, and I belong to a church or I gave to the church or I was a good parent or a good person in the community, whatever it is, I've done a lot of good things. So I feel like I'm going to be okay. And when I stand before God and I'm going to be able to present my goodness to the Lord and I deserve heaven. I deserve eternal life. That is not the gospel. The gospel says we're all lost. The gospel declares, giving us the bad news initially that we have all sinned, all of us. And the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came, to die for our sins, that we might have life. To take our sins upon himself and make atonement for our sins. He paid it all. He did it all. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. We can't earn salvation. We come by faith and receive the unmerited favor of God as we call out to him, as we confess that we are a sinner, as we realize we need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, to give us life. So we're saved by grace through faith. And in this parable, the landowner representing God, the vineyard, the world, and laborers who were sent, on to, sent out into the vineyard called by God, God's people, in God's grace, some people grow up as a Christian. They grow up in a Christian home. And if you are young and you are here and you grew up in a Christian home where your parents raised you in the ways of the Lord, they taught you the scriptures, they brought you to church, please don't ever take that for granted. You were blessed. And there are others that they didn't grow up in a Christian home. It was later on in life that they gave their their heart and their, their life to the Lord, some even on their deathbed. I've talked to some that even in their last few hours that they came to the Lord. And the reason that I am mentioning this and mentioning God's grace because I hope that you know and I pray that you let others know that it is never, it is never too late for salvation. Because I've talked to plenty of people that they said, I can't be saved. 
I've done too many wrong things. I've hurt too many people. God will never forgive me. Uh, I've lived a a cruddy life. I I can't be saved. I can't come to God. I I don't deserve it. Listen, it is never too late for salvation until you die, until you close your eyes and take your last breath. And there are those who have come to the Lord in the last hour. We think of the thief on the cross, right? Right? The thief on the cross who turned to Jesus. We know the story in Jesus' crucifixion. One died on his left and on his right. And as one of them was reviling Jesus, the other said, don't do that. We deserve to be here hanging on the cross. We were thieves. This man has done nothing wrong. And he turned and he called out to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was the response of Jesus? You don't deserve it. You didn't do any good works. You're a thief. Jesus said that you'll be with me before the sun is set in paradise. And we see a picture of God's incredible grace at that man in the last hour that said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I imagine when Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise, that there was just a, a peace, an assurance And knowing that he's going to be in paradise with Jesus. You see, in this parable, yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But as we consider this parable, you see, he's talking about rewards. And Peter, you're going to be rewarded in eternity for following me. Peter, know this, that the first will be last and the last first. And just as salvation is by grace, the Lord is going to give us rewards according to his grace. Listen, I want to make sure that we understand, many of you do, as we've gone through the scriptures, that when we talk about rewards, that rewards will be given to us in heaven. We're not talking about salvation. Salvation is something that we cannot earn. But Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He would also write the same thing in Romans chapter 14. And that word judgment seat, as most of you know, is translated the Bema reward seat of Christ. In other words, the Corinthians knew what Paul was talking about and what he meant when he used that word, the Bema reward seat. You're going to all stand, you believers, before the judgment seat of Christ, before him on the Bema reward seat of Christ to receive rewards for what you have done in this life. In the ancient Olympic Games in Athens, that was just 50 miles from Corinth, they understood that the, the, the participants in that event, the winners would stand at the Bema reward seat and they would receive rewards for winning their event. The Isthmus Games that were in Corinth. This year, I understand, later this summer, they're going to have the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And we love to see the winners of the events. They stand on the podium. They raise the flag, especially when, you know, the national anthem. And you think all the training, all the, the time they put into it, what a special moment that it is. Folks, this is a reality. This is not a fairy tale. That all of us as believers, we're going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Now, non-believers, 
They will stand before the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20. After the millennium reign, that we know that the heavens and earth are going to disappear as we read in Revelation chapter 20. The second resurrection, the unrighteous dead are going to be resurrected. And they will stand before the great white throne judgment where they will be sentenced into out of darkness. That's a reality. We will not, as believers, be at the great white throne judgment. But we who are saved by grace through faith stand at the beam of reward seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, is what the apostle writes. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, says that all of our works will be tested by fire. And those things that are unlike Christ, not pleasing to Christ, are like wood, hay, and stubble. The wrong motives for serving the Lord, to be seen, for our own personal gain, to exalt ourselves. It's going to burn up. But as we're motivated for our love for him, because it would be right after that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Paul says, we'll stand at the payment rewards of Jesus Christ, that he goes on to say that it's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that motivates us. It's like precious metals, gold, silver, precious metals, and we will receive a reward. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13 that if I had all faith told mountains to be gone, if I gave all my goods to, to feed the poor, if I gave my uh, body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Our love for him is what constrains us and motivates us, our love for others. So as we consider this parable, listen, it's not talking about salvation for nobody works for their salvation. It's not even telling us that we're all going to receive the same rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. We know in chapter 4 that Paul writes that the Lord knows the heart. He's the one that knows the hidden things of the heart. Judge nothing before his time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. So he's the one that will judge our hearts. He's the one that judges our motives. He's the one that will do that perfectly. But as we go through this parable, what it is emphasizing is the right attitude and service. The right attitude and service. We don't serve him because of wanting an unexpected reward. Or have the mindset, if I deserve this reward. Peter, you're asking, what is it that we're going to get? We left all. Be careful, Peter. And for all of us that are here, don't be prideful. Don't be overconfident when it comes to rewards God gives. Those who are first, maybe they seem to be first in their own eyes or the eyes of others, may be last. So as we consider this parable, yes, that salvation is by grace, but he's also showing us that he will give rewards by his grace. How generous the master is by his goodness and as he pleases. And it may not be as we expect. I really believe when the rewards are given out that there's going to be a lot of surprises. We tend to think that the ones that are going to be up front getting their rewards, if you would, and Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, and they will be rewarded for their faithfulness in ministry, 
for the great work that they did for the kingdom of God. But we kind of picture that. That's the ones that are going to be getting rewards and crowns, not me. And I'm sure that as we read this, the Lord is telling us, and I believe that there will be many who are not seen in this world, but the Lord sees, that will be escorted, if you would, up front, to be given great rewards. The nursery worker and the children's ministry worker and teacher who loved those kids year after year, changing dirty diapers and wiping runny noses, but loved them and made sure they were safe, told them about the Lord, about you, Mom, great rewards as you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord and you work so hard. For you who are taking care of elderly parents, because God says that's an honorable thing to do. The person who comes and cleans the church, the person who comes and mows the lawns and takes care of the grounds, the one who makes a meal for somebody or writes a card of word of encouragement to others, for you who think, I can't do much, but you are praying, and you're praying for people in this church, you're praying for me, and you do that constantly. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that they will be rewarded, that person, openly by the Father. As we just minister in practical ways and how he has gifted you, where he has placed you, an opportunity that he's given to you, he will reward you. And know this, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So the Lord gives rewards according to his grace, but thirdly, listen, it's never too late to serve the Lord. You might be thinking, well, I'm older, if I were young, I would really go for it in the Lord, but I'm getting up there in age. And, and, and look, there were those who were in the town square at 5 o'clock. The foreman said, why are you guys here? Why are you idle? Because nobody hired us. They didn't have opportunity. Come and work, and you're going to receive a Daenerys. You're going to get a reward. And that encourages me. And whatever God has called you to do, the opportunities in his time, because some people, they just get saved. They're older in life. They think, God can never use me. That's the way I thought. God couldn't use me. But he does want to use you. Don't ever think in what you do in your ministry that you're an unprofitable servant. Don't get discouraged. Be careful, Peter. You've done much. You've given up a lot. But the first will be last, and the last shall be first. It's never too late to serve the Lord. He might have you praying. He might have you doing very, very simple, practical things that are a blessing to others. You know, Dan and Linda, I was thinking, you know, this morning putting this together, it came to me that they do most excellent way on Monday nights, been doing it for years and years. How mom and my mom, who's not able to come, but for years, every Monday, brought snacks for, for you guys. And what a tremendous blessing. She was so faithful to that. And she'd bring it in on Monday, and I was here, and I'd go down and say hi to Mom. She'd say, now, don't you get into those snacks, all right? <laughs> so Mom knows me best. And, but she was faithful to it. And so many of you have been faithful in serving. 
Don't stop. This is not the time to chuck it or just kick it in cruise control. I know the temptation. I was reading one of the things um, that post-pandemic COVID that a lot of people said, we're just going to be, go ahead and just retire. And, and that's a blessing for those who are able to do that. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, don't retire. God wants to use you. And I think that there's a tendency of some, and I'm not being critical, just an honest evaluation that, you know, been away from church and, you know, the, the whole thing. And now's the time to really be serving him in whatever the Lord has for you. Whatever you're able to do in opportunities. And I know that some of you, you're raising your kids. The Lord sees that. And that honors the Lord. And that's a good work. Or taking care of elderly parents. Or you're working so hard for your family to provide for them. But you have a ministry. Every single one of us. And don't just kick it in cruise control. God wants to use you in the day in which we are in. He wants to use all of us. And he wants to use this church. But the last thing that we see here in this parable... And this is important. The parable teaches us, watch out for jealousy and envy. Hey, we've been out here all day. Those guys work just for an hour. It is unfair. And there can be a tendency for our flesh to say, how come he or she is getting blessed? I've been faithful for years and years and years. Remember the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother was upset when the younger brother, who had spent his inheritance on pleasure and seeking sin, he finds himself, the younger brother, spending all his inheritance. He's in the pig pen, eating pig slop. The younger brother repents. He says, I'll go back to my father and be a servant in his house. And the father ran to greet him, and they killed the fatted calf. There was a great celebration. The older son's response was, how can you do that, dad? You never did that for me. And the father said, son, you've always been with me. All that I have is yours. But your brother was dead, and now he's alive. And he was lost, and now he's found. And the other brother did not understand grace. The landowner here in verse 15, is your eye evil because I am good? The word evil takes on, are you angry? Are you upset at me? Are you jealous? Are you envious? And I pray that we would rejoice when people have been brought from darkness into his marvelous light. When they've been brought from death to life, that we wouldn't say, well, you're just, you know, you've been in the pig pen. God can never use you. We would hold up our noses. No. And I pray that we would never be envious or jealous in how God is working in people or how he's blessing them or their ministry. For me as a pastor, it's real easy for me to look at other ministries and say, Lord, why are you blessing them more than me? Why are they bigger? Why are they growing faster? Why do they have this and that? And I deserve, you know, to, to have this and that. And it's a huge lesson that I've learned in my years as a pastor is this, that God will bless who he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. And Jeff, you just keep doing what I've called you to do. 
You just be faithful to the ministry that you've been given. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that a steward is found to be faithful, and he'll take care of the results, and be thankful for the ministry that I've given to you, because I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. It is only by his grace and his goodness. And listen, he has a ministry for you to do. And your ministry is just as important as my ministry. And you don't have to be jealous or envious of anybody else's ministry. Numbers chapter 16. Korah, Dathan, leaders of the congregation of Israel, they come to Moses and they come to Aaron. And they complain. They say, Moses, Aaron, you take too much upon yourself. And and we are special. You think you're so special? Well, we're special. And they challenged Moses and Aaron. Korah, who was of the Levites, he was from the tribe. They would carry the Ark of the Covenant. And he said that I want to be the one. I want to be the one that says, thus saith the Lord Moses. I want to be the one, Aaron, that goes behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, to the tangible presence of God. We're special. And they were envious and jealous. And the Lord, in his displeasure, he would open up the earth. And all those guys were swallowed into the earth. Pretty brutal. But I'll tell you what else is brutal. You will find yourself in a pit if you become jealous and envious of others and how God is using them. And God has a ministry for you. You don't have to be jealous of anybody else's ministry. And that ministry is very, very important to him. And it is not in vain. And I believe there will be many pastors of small churches that will be rewarded greatly in heaven. Those who loved and fed their sheep faithfully. They weren't on TV. They never wrote a book. They never were on the radio but faithfully love and minister to their flock because the first will be last and the last will be first. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this word given to us and the lessons that we learn from this. We know that we are saved by your grace as we come in faith, believing that Jesus died for our sins and that he is the Savior of the world our recognition to be forgiven. So I want to pray if there's anyone here that you've never come to Jesus. Maybe you thought because you're a good person or you've gone to church or you went to Sunday school. Those things won't save you. You see, religion won't save you, but a relationship with Jesus does. He paid it all. He did it all on that cross for you and died for your sins. That's why he came, because of his love for you. And he says to you this morning, if you've never done it, come to me and call out to me. And if we believe in our hearts the Lord Jesus and confess with our mouths that God raised him from the dead, the confessing our belief in him, what he did for us on Calvary's cross, and that he's alive, you're confessing what is in your heart, surrendering your life to him. And the invitation is to come. Today is the day of salvation because, listen, tomorrow's unpromised to any of us. Will you come to Jesus? He says, come. 
and you can call out to him sincerely in your heart right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner, but you died for all of my sins. Forgive me. And I believe that you're alive. You rose from the grave. And I now give my heart to you and ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart and life as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. That as I come to the family of God, I now have the spirit of adoption where I can say, Abba, Father, and the hope of eternal life. And I want to know you and live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. For all of us that are here to remember that the Lord desires to use us in the day in which we are in. The opportunities he's given to you, how he's gifted you, as you desire to please the Lord, as you serve him, that your labor is not in vain, and great will be reward for the one who gives a cup of water to a child in Jesus' name. He said in his word that great will be your reward. To not pack it up and just live for ourselves, but to live for you. And Lord, if you bring conviction to us, it's because you desire for us to hear these words, to be used of you. The Lord, know that you want to gift us. There's a harvest out there. Jesus said, pray for laborers to go out into the harvest, for the laborers are few. So Lord, may we just carry on today and the next few days just seeking you, how we would be used of you. Bless everyone here, Lord. I thank you for this morning. Everyone has come through the three services. I pray you just bless our week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?